I want to tell you about Tiny Talkers group curriculum. If you're an SLP looking for more work-life balance and a fresh way to do things in your private practice, then the Tiny Talkers group curriculum might be just what you're looking for. Tiny Talkers groups are set up as a way to provide accessible speech and language support to young children in a small group setting. Our friend Megan Samuels, creator of Tiny Talkers, has done all the planning for you. When you sign up for the curriculum, you get a full 36-week program divided into summer, fall, winter, and spring semesters. The plans are easy to implement and adjust as needed to meet the needs of your clients. They include material checklists and parent handouts for each session. And the best part is, Megan designed each week so that all the materials you'll need can fit into one sensory bin. So once you get your group set up, you're done. In the years that follow, you'll pull out that bin and go. No planning, no stress, just fun. If you want to learn more about Tiny Talkers, go to tinytalkersgroupcurriculum.com to check it out. Make sure to use our code BOOKCLUB10 at checkout to get 10% off your order. We love Tiny Talkers Group Curriculum, and we know you'll love it too. You're listening to the SLP Book Club. We're your hosts, Adrian Frost and Laura Geyser. This month, we're reading The Seeds of Learning by Tara Sumter. Let's get into it. Hi, Adrian. Hi, Laura. Welcome back to the SLP Book Club podcast. Today, we are discussing The Seeds of Learning by Tara Sumter. We're going to be going through chapters five and six. But before we start discussing the book, we're going to play this or that, one of our favorite games. So you had one you wanted to do, right? Okay, I just saw this on the list and I was laughing because it's like such a no brainer. So (laughs) maybe it's just a no brainer for us or just for me. Who knows? Camping or binge watching shows at home. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, I'm binge watching shows. (laughs) obviously I'm like we might even have to pay me to go camping (laughs) when we were just looking through this list that was the one that caught my eye and made me laugh because I was like these two things are not related I know not at all so my option is either being in the comfort of my home watching television or being like freezing (laughs) being bit by mosquitoes sleeping in a tent on the ground like these are not comparable okay you know the worst part though about camping is like when you're in the tent and you wake up in the morning and everything is just a little bit wet, like the inside of yes. the walls of the tent, the sleeping bag, like everything. Yeah. Okay. But let's think of some good, some things that would really put you in a tough spot, like binge watching TV or staying at a luxury hotel. Or can't we do both? Can't we binge watch TV at a luxury hotel? Okay. Home binge watching TV or home hanging out with your friends, you know, like having a get together or being alone watching TV, right? Okay, I have a good one. (laughs) Binge watching a TV show at home or attending a finale recording or like reunion recording for one of your favorite TV shows. Are you talking about Vanderpump Rules? (laughs) Yeah, I would be if, okay, like watch what happens live because I don't think they have an audience for the reunion, but no, no. Let's say watch what happens live and it has Tom Schwartz and Katie on there and you're just like. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Okay. I mean, that seems like a bit of a once in a lifetime opportunity. I would, I got to do it. I got to do it. Am I flying to New York? Okay, let's do it. (laughs) My sister and I have been watching 
RuPaul's Drag Race, which we love. Oh, I've been thinking about starting that. It is so good. I could give you some really good recommendations. For seasons to watch? Yeah. The last season we just watched was great. And the finale was like so spectacular and they keep showing shots of the audience and everyone is fabulous in the audience. Most sparkly audience you've ever seen. Everyone's sequined in the hats and they really came to show up. And I was like, that's the reunion finale, whatever I want to go to. You know, you would go to the finale instead of just binge watching the show at home. Of course, I might have a moment two hours before the event when you're considering getting ready and you're just like, would kind of be nice to stay home. You know, I once went to a live taping of America's Funniest Home Videos. I was just thinking about that. We had to leave kind of early on a Wednesday. We had to drive out to Manhattan Beach at like 3 or 4 p.m. and stay for so long. But And it was exhausting because you have to be laughing. Like you have to be smiling and laughing. Your mouth just hurts. But it is this hilarious once-in-a-lifetime thing, and I got featured on it. Yeah, you were on the show. I won a bobblehead. I was, like, part of the show, so. One time I attended a live taping of BattleBots. <gasps> oh, I am so jealous. We got to do a backstage tour. We saw all of the BattleBots up close and personal with the teams who made them. They're bigger than you'd think, right? They're huge. Yeah. They're huge. Okay. And we, it was like, you're seeing the greats. I was like, oh, there's voodoo. There's this one. You saw voodoo. Yeah. With the witch doctor and the little one. It was so cute. Is that show still on? Yeah, I think it's still on. My family, we used to have viewing parties where everybody would bet. Oh, we would have like brackets. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like Bronco. You can't deny it. Yeah. Undeniable. Like greatest of all time. Yeah. Oh my anyway, gosh. don't get me started on BattleBots. Okay. Well, <laughs> I've got to tell my fiance because he's going to be really jealous and probably looking up how to go watch a live taping. Yeah. Should we do one more this or that? That was a long... Okay, you can pick one. Did we do this one before? Telepathy or teleporting? Telepathy. Telepathy. <laughs> <laughs> That's like biopic, biopic. <laughs> telepathy. 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 Of course. <laughs> I knew it felt wrong. <laughs> okay, which which one are you going to take? Okay, telepathy or teleporting? I'm glad you brought this up because I also saw this on the list and gave it five seconds of thought. Yeah. Telepathy, to read other people's minds. Yeah. Double-edged sword. Double-edged sword. I don't it's know. a burden. Do you really want to know what people are thinking about you? <laughs> but teleporting, it's like... Where do I really want to go? Okay, I'm going to tell you where you want to go. Okay. (laughs) We talk about this all the time. You go to a wedding. It's over. You wake up and you want to be home and you're driving and you just go, oh, I just want to teleport home. Yeah, leaving Vegas, driving home for like four hours. That's that's the other one I was going to say. The drive to Vegas is so much fun. Anticipating getting there. You're so (laughs) excited. And then the drive home is agony. Just agony. Yes. You're teleporting home from vacations. Okay. You know, I think I'll go with, yeah, teleporting. I don't need to know what's going on at other people's No, no. You can't turn off telepathy. Why can't I say that? (laughs) You can't turn it off. You're probably just like so overwhelmed by people's thoughts when you're in a crowd. I mean, forget it. Yeah, you like go crazy. Yeah. I'm not looking to negatively impact my life here. I just want like a casual superpower. (laughs) Yeah. Just one you can use here or there. Like you don't want to use it all the time. Yes. Okay. 
Stay tuned. After the break, we're going to discuss chapters five and six of the Seeds of Learning. The SLP Book Club is not just a podcast, it's a community. Go to our Instagram at SLP underscore book club to join the discussion and connect with us after each episode. Want even more of the SLP Book Club? The resources we make to support the content of the books we read are available for free on our Patreon or at the Laura G. SLP Teachers Pay Teachers store. You can find links to them in the show notes. To learn more about the SLP Book Club, go to the slpbookclub.com. You can contact us by emailing hello at the slpbookclub.com. Follow us on Instagram at slp underscore book club or on TikTok at the SLP book club. Have you checked out Laura's speech materials yet on Teachers Pay Teachers or Boom Learning under Laura G. SLP? I am such a huge fan and I'm here to sing her praises. (laughs) Since I'm a teletherapist, I use boom cards almost exclusively during my sessions. As with all things in speech, sometimes the most unexpected materials are a hit with the kiddos. My students love Laura's What Did You Find activities that feature a fun flashlight to look for different items. And her Lidcomb handouts for parents on TPT are also amazing. And I love to use them with private clients. She also has some great game type reinforcers like the picture reveal activities and a connect for donut game that I've been playing on repeat with one student for months. (laughs) The best part is that I can use almost all of her materials with a range of kids who have different levels of needs. This helps you get the most bang for your buck. Her materials are well thought out, evidence-based, and fun and engaging for the kids. We can't all be creative geniuses, so we might as well support and benefit from those who are. Thanks for sharing your genius with us, Laura. Go check them out today at Laura G. SLP on Boom Learning and TPT. All right, welcome back to the SLP Book Club. Today we are discussing chapters five and six of the Seeds of Learning. So chapter five is assessment. And in this chapter, Tara really goes through how to assess all of these cognitive processes that we've been talking about. So she starts out by saying that we should be using assessment to uncover patterns, not to give labels. We need to use a really comprehensive, integrative approach, and we need to assess every cognitive domain to determine the strengths and weaknesses. This is not your run-of-the-mill quick assessment. She says it's going to probably take multiple sessions. Don't be like me, everyone. Five days out from the end of the school year, and I'm just trying to still wrap some. Oh, like that was always me. I think you're not alone. <laughs> and then in each area, you need to assess receptive and expressive components. A big point she makes at the beginning: good assessment tools that you use should measure as few cognitive processes as possible. Adrian was talking about this in one of our previous episodes, like the recalling sentences subtest of the self. What are we really testing? not what they say. I was ready to go on a rant today. I was like gearing up, like I'm going to really rip recalling sentences. And you know, and the self is the test, the language test that Tara recommends the most, right? I was just looking at that in the appendix. I was like self. And I don't know, you know, I prefer the castle, but I've been giving the self all year. The self is the one that was the main language test I always used. So there's good and bad about a lot of these tests. And you got to find the the one that has the least bad. Sorry to interrupt, but I do want to point out, Laura, let me take you back to grad school. 
Let me take you way back. Okay. I don't remember who the professor was of this particular class. I do. <laughs> you know what I'm going to say already? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when we analyzed the assessments. Yes. And we had to look at reliability, validity, and the point. I don't even know if this was the point. I guess it was, but this was my takeaway was literally every single standardized test is kind of like BS. They all have problems. Oh, severely flawed. All of them. Yes. None of them met those standards. We had that book called Standards and none of them met them. (laughs) And then it's like, I don't know what the point was. I mean, I guess it was supposed to make us really stringent, discerning assessors. However, all it did was make me doubt like every assessment tool. And then I give it and I'm just like reporting out the results. Well, you know, like who even knows? This test kind of sucks anyway. I just did that to one of my clients. I was like, well, he did score pretty high on the PLS, but the PLS is kind of known for, I just like gave this caveat. And it's like, what are you doing? It's like we're discounting ourselves when we say that. Just like with recalling sentences, almost every parent, I'm like, well, we didn't do that great on the subtest, you know, but there's so many other factors. So who really knows what's going on? (laughs) And then the parents just looking at me and I'm like, I don't know. I used this (laughs) test. I don't really trust it. I don't like it. But here are the results. (laughs) Here we go. I will say I have used it recently to validate grammatical findings from other subtests on the self. So if I see like a lot of deficits in formulated sentences, I'm like looking at those same errors are present in their recalling sentences, Mm -hmm. responses. Yeah, that could be a hot topic for the future. Yes. (laughs) All right. So the big example that Tara kind of starts off with are phonemic awareness tests. And I did a little research just on like teachers pay teachers searching for phonemic awareness tests. And they are all exactly what she says. They're not just measuring phonemic awareness they're measuring speech. So they require the kid to talk. They're measuring your visual imagery for symbols. They're using letters. The kid might have to correspond the letter to the sound. And they measure language because they have really complicated directions. And, you know, she just says, you can't truly test a kid's phonemic awareness if you're using a test like that. If you're saying, okay, say cat. And then you say, now say cat without the k. And that requires speech production. It requires the kid to understand the word without. It requires working memory, understanding the directions, holding the directions, and then executing them. So you're testing all these things that aren't phonemic awareness. And we're going to get into the test she recommends for testing that in a second. But basically, she's setting the stage. Like, Make sure whatever assessment measures you're using are testing as few cognitive domains as possible. On page 36, Mm -hmm. she has a table that shows all the assessment tools that you need for a comprehensive evaluation, and it is a lot. But I was thinking, I was like, well, if you aren't using a bunch of standardized tests where you, you know, if you did have some more informal measures, like maybe you have some standardized and then a lot of them are more like a screener or like a quicker assessment, but it seems to me, and I want to ask Tara about this if we talk to her, it seems to me that she's using as many standardized tests as possible. I would love to see her reports, like to see what she's doing, because this sounds extensive, right? I'm sure they're really thorough. I mean, when we cover chapter seven, we'll be looking a little more in depth to her assessment results and stuff. But she said that she always includes the image, you know, of the kind of Venn diagram showing which areas in deficit, 
I was like, wow. I think when you're a school SLP, we're just kind of trying to like churn him out, make it as thorough as possible given our time constraints. But I know from my experience with my private clients and yours too, Laura, Mm -hmm. you have a little more time. You can bill more. You can really go in depth. It's like just the freedom of sort of having your own outside clients. Yeah. So we're not sure how long this assessment would take. Probably a long time. She has a table showing all the things you should be assessing. And then in Appendix B in the back, she has an assessment tool list so that she gives recommendations for the tool that she has found to measure these areas the best. So now we're going to go through each of the cognitive domains or the processes and talk a little bit about how to assess. The first one is speech processing. So you're going to include an articulation assessment like the GIFTA, an oral mechanism exam, a conversational sample, and then diadococinesis or DDK, which she really goes into details about how that can be an indicator of how the child's phonological processing system has developed. So when you see a breakdown at, say, the level of one sound. Fascinating. Fascinating. I know because, okay, (laughs) let's let's make a little admission. I always do the DDK when I'm doing the oral mech exam. And then when something is funky, When something's a little different, very slow, very labored, I just report that. But I don't really know what that means or what to do with the information. And I report that it was slow, labored, uncoordinated, something like that. Yeah, but I love how she put it, which was like, it doesn't directly relate to much we have to work on. Like you're not going to qualify a kid based on that or write a goal for that. But it's a piece of the puzzle to say like, oh, this could be a reason for you know, if the coordination is off, maybe then the articulation is off. Or Yeah. So you're finding these patterns. And this is one pattern you might see is that if you're having a breakdown at the one sound level, when you do your DDK, that corresponds with a one syllable phonological breakdown. And she tells a story of a fifth grader who had severe phonological processing impairments and has a reading disorder and years and years of speech therapy has made this child very intelligible But the DDK was, they had a lot of trouble producing those sounds and syllables. And even though articulation has improved, his ability to process and coordinate sound hadn't. So it was contributing to reading problems. So she has said many times, when you're addressing speech development, you should always also be addressing phonological processing, right? And so maybe that was missed, that element was missed, and this child is still having problems with reading. Yeah. And I love that line that she has right here. He was a classic case of early speech disorder, poorly wiring, phonological processing, and thus causing a literacy impairment. Yeah. All right. So moving on to the phonological processing assessment, this is going to include phonemic awareness, phonics, nonsense word reading, and nonsense word spelling. Adrian was asking, you know, aren't a lot of these things assessed by the the RSP teacher if you're in school. And maybe this could be something where you're coordinating with your RSP teacher and making sure that the assessments they're doing are ones you find to be useful or valid, right? Like, so you're not overlapping and testing the same thing. Yeah. Okay. So when you're testing phonemic awareness, like we already talked about, you're going to measure sound manipulation at all levels. These are sounds in isolation, sounds in syllables, beginning at two sound syllables, and then multisyllables. It shouldn't involve speech production or letter recognition, and it should require minimal language and executive functioning. So Tara recommends the Linda Mood Auditory Conceptualization Test. 
And that's the one that we've all seen where the child is manipulating those little colored Mm. squares. The squares represent the sounds. And, you know, if you're not familiar with that, you can look it up on YouTube and you can see someone doing it so that you understand, you know, what makes a good phonemic Mm. awareness test. A phonics inventory. So you need to see how the child is processing sounds in isolation. Can they isolate the consonants or do they always add a vowel? Is that Mm. schwa always there? And can the child recall sounds? And then nonsense word reading measure. So you're going to go from CV or VC syllables all the way up to multisyllabic words, nonsense words, and look for the patterns that you can find. And then the nonsense word spelling measure is the expressive component of this whole thing. So can a child hold a word, recall the letters and symbols, and sequence the sounds? And she has created a nonsense word spelling tool in Appendix C that Adrian's a big yeah. fan of, I think. Was it the spelling one or the reading? Did she have a reading Oh my list? gosh, it was the spelling one. There were words like pi, et, goo. <laughs> what do you have? Some of my favorites. <laughs> Lup, French. French. So is it F-R-U-N-C-H? Yeah, one point for you. Okay. <laughs> Slotion, I also love. <laughs> okay, now I don't know, like, is that spelled like lotion or is it spelled with an S-H? Slotion? How would you spell it? S-L-O-S-H-E-N. No, just like lotion with an S on the front. Oh, I missed S-L-O-T-I-O-N. Oh, no. Okay. But maybe you get points for that anyway, because S-H-U-N, I mean. Oh, man. See, I I don't know. Oh, can I do one more? Can I quiz you on another? Okay, yeah, do it. (laughs) Can you tell I always love the spelling bee? (laughs) Here's your next one. Siptery. Siptery. Yes. (laughs) S-I-P-T-E-R-Y. Siptery. Ding, ding, ding. Winner, winner. Yes. (laughs) Okay. All right. So moving on to visual imagery processing for symbols, you're going to use three measures. You're going to test visual processing of symbols, sight words, and then orthographic spelling. And she lists, again, standardized tests that you can use to assess all of these areas. But make sure first that vision is not a concern when you're testing this area. And then for language processing, she basically says, hey, you're an SLP. You know how to test for language. (laughs) Like we said, she recommends using the self. Just make sure you're using a scaffolded tool that shows you where the language breakdown occurs in both length and complexity. Look at abstract versus concrete language and look at lengthy amounts of language versus shorter amounts. And I thought this was interesting. She said, if you're doing a reading comprehension assessment, you need to always Do a language comprehension assessment like the understanding spoken paragraphs, subtest of the self. So if a child does well on understanding spoken paragraphs, but does poorly on reading comprehension, then you know there's probably an issue with reading mechanics. So it's either phonological processing or visual imagery for symbols. But if they do poorly on both, that's a sign that there's a language deficit that's impacting both oral and reading comprehension fascinating so interesting (laughs) I remember in grad school I was testing this kid and he was in third grade and I tested his reading like I just wanted to get a little reading sample and my supervisor goes I'm very interested in reading too but what are you going to do with that information and I was like 
I don't know. I don't know what it means. You know, like I had no, I just <laughs> was like throwing, you know, like everything into my assessment that I could possibly do. Oh my gosh, you know, I just realized they should use this book in grad school. Like, I wonder if any grad programs are using it. This just came up on our Instagram. Some comments under our recent post where we were talking about reading mm. this book. And Tara was like, I'll write the curriculum for it. Like she's down. Cause I was like, they should be teaching this stuff in grad school. My gosh, Laura, maybe we should contact our alma mater and see if they're interested in. <laughs> I have contacted one of our clinic supervisors. So I'm going to tell her, get your students listening and reading this book. Cause this is so interesting. And I wish somebody had told me to read this when I was starting. Me too. But I also kind of wonder if this is the kind of book that really resonates best when you have been in the field for a while. Okay. Because I do feel if maybe somebody had shown me this in grad school, if I would have been just like, whoa, this seems like a lot. This seems really overwhelming to tease it out. But once you sat through so many IEPs and seen so many kids that are similar, mm -hmm. it's like, then you read this and you're like, oh my gosh, of course. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, okay. You need um, a couple years. Maybe, but I do have <laughs> something else I want to say. This is so interesting because I think all of us SLPs can identify with this, which is when she's talking about how receptive language should always be higher than expressive language because you can't use what you don't have stored receptively, right? Which makes so much sense. But we've mm -hmm. all seen those kids whose expressive is higher than their receptive. What she says is sometimes if the children have significantly flip-flop scores, then it's probably an indication of executive functioning issues. And it's like, of course, right? If you're not really attending, then your scores are going to be lower. And it's yeah. like, these are just feel like things we've already known. Like you already know it in your heart, right? But then when you read it written out, it's like, of course. And what she said was like, think about those kids, you know, who have executive functioning deficits. They're going to be so much more engaged in the part where they get to talk and they are involved versus the part where they have to really sit still and be quiet and follow directions. You know, of course, if you're asking them to describe a picture or, you know, do things where they're involved in their talking, of course, they're attending a lot more than when they have to like. Yeah, for you sure. Know. We all know the kids Sit falling still. out of their chairs. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And it is good to read this now because you just like all these light bulbs come on and you picture all your kids and you exactly. go, oh my gosh, of course, of course, this is it. Yeah. All right. And then testing executive functioning. She says standardized tests will not do the job. A dynamic assessment's best. And that's going to involve a parent and teacher questionnaire, which she's included in Appendix D, the one she uses a parent and teacher rating scale, observation, work sample analysis, and then some high demand executive functioning tasks, which I found very fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so she uses the McCloskey executive function scale. That's Appendix F. And when she does observations, she keeps an executive functioning skill cluster sheet with her and takes notes on each skill as she observes the child. And I liked that idea, just having them all listed there and you can kind of make notes about each one. And then the high demand tasks she uses are things like alphabetizing or crossing out tasks, things that require a lot of planning or self-regulation. I was in outpatient rehab when I was at a hospital and we had to do a lot of oh, yeah. activities like that. Oh, sure. It's like, can you draw the clock? Can you do a monthly calendar or whatever? Yeah, that planning and yeah. Executive functioning deficits can impact all the cognitive systems 
So there's always a connection. You have to determine from your assessment, though, which came first, the executive functioning deficits, are those causing the deficits in the other areas, or are there subsystem deficits that are contributing to the executive functioning deficits? This is confusing, but she says we are always evaluating executive functioning. Like we've said, every single test you give a student requires that student to use their executive functioning skills. And then for literacy assessment, this involves, you know, literacy is so complex. It involves speech processing, phonological processing, visual imagery for symbols processing, language processing, and executive functioning. So you have to assess every single area to do a sound literacy assessment. So just do all of the things she's already said in this chapter. (laughs) Easy peasy. Just do all that. And then add one more, a contextual reading tool. The child will read a passage out loud and then answer questions. And this assesses how well the child is synthesizing the entire network of all the processing systems. You're going to measure reading rate, accuracy, fluency, and comprehension. And then you can use that information to figure out which system there are deficits in. So if rate and accuracy are low, those are functions of visual imagery for symbols processing. If accuracy is low, that could be a function of phonological processing. Reading comprehension is a function of language processing. So the information you get from this tool should align with the results of your other assessments in each of those areas. And then if there are executive skills weaknesses, you may see inconsistencies. And then for a written language assessment, this is the most complex form of expression. It involves all aspects of our model except the math circle. It involves fine motor and gross motor skills in addition. So you can use standardized writing tests or just an informal measure with an open-ended response to show the child's natural writing. Give the child a prompt and then ask them to write for 10 minutes. So she gave a bunch of examples, things like, tell me about your favorite toy. Look for a main idea, supporting details, conclusion, thought organization, transitions, grammar, sentence length, capitalization, punctuation, and spelling. She doesn't really go into like age ranges, like when they're in kindergarten, what should you be assessing? Right. Because obviously writing looks very different at the different grades. So when you're doing the writing assessment, look for patterns that correlate with performance on the other assessments you've done. If a child has language deficits, you're going to see errors in the main idea, details, conclusion, organization, and grammar. If they have deficits in visual imagery for symbols processing, you'll see errors in capitalization and punctuation. Phonological processing deficits or visual imagery processing, you're going to see a lot of errors in spelling. And then executive skills deficits are probably going to lead to global writing deficits, but mostly idea generation, sentence length, organization, and editing. And then she goes into a math assessment. Math involves visual imagery for symbols, language, and executive functioning. So your assessment that you've already done will give you enough information about all those areas to find the problem if the child's having difficulty in math. But it's not very typical for kids to have deficits in just math. There's usually going to be a big overlap in literacy development. And you're going to strengthen the underlying cognitive weaknesses to improve both skills. If you do a math assessment, you need to look at both computation and word problem skills because it could be symbol reversals or difficulty with concepts like greater than, that could be language, or organization and planning for multi-step problems could be executive functioning. And then when you've completed your assessment... After months and months of testing, (laughs) just kidding, Tara, dig into the information you've gathered and search for patterns. 
find the underlying root cause, the cognitive deficit area that's most impacting everything, and your primary diagnosis will be the root cause or the weakest cognitive domain. And then you'll have secondary and maybe even tertiary diagnoses that are the disorders or delays that result from that primary diagnosis. So that is it for her assessment chapter. She's just laying out, listen, if you really want to get to the bottom of this puzzle, here's everything you need to assess. And we're joking about it. You probably can put together a protocol for assessing that you know, you get used to and goes pretty quickly. If you're in a school, even with the math and everything, I'm thinking you could really team up with your teachers or RSP teacher or, you know, whoever, and make sure that you're getting information on all these things from them and not necessarily testing yourself, right? Yeah. And I think that's actually a really good point, Laura, because it is a team in a private clinic, you're going to, it's probably going to be a multidisciplinary assessment, maybe, I mean, depending, but you're going to be a team in the schools. So you might want to work with your teacher and maybe you can just suggest they do these tests because thinking about doing all these tests on my own, I'm a little bit aware of stepping on other people's toes. I've had psychs before that feel it's appropriate to give the self or who give the vocabulary assessments that we give mm. and it's annoying. So it's like, I wouldn't want to step on the RSP teacher's toes, yep. but I wonder if there's a way to maybe suggest like, oh, if you give the Linda Mood conceptualization test, then we can look at scores together because the thought of sitting in an IEP and just being like, well, to me, the results indicate, you know, literacy deficits and phonemic awareness. And then to have them look at me like, that's my area. You know, I don't know. Well, I'm even picturing like how great it would be to at your school do a little PD, like a little presentation for the teachers yeah. and some special ed teachers and explain what we know about this model. And just for teachers, they know their students so well, they're going to have a bunch of light bulbs go off. If you're explaining, you know, how phonological processing would impact and how that would look different than visual processing for symbols, you know? Right, exactly. It might make so much more sense to them. And then if you're able to explain that to your SPED team and get everybody on board, like, hey, let's really get to the bottom of this and here's how we do mm -hmm. it. That could be a real game changer. I don't know how many times we're going to say game changer when we read I this know. book. <laughs> well, it is the summer. So all you SLPs who have tons of time and nothing to do, Start getting that PD to get Yes. <laughs> Make those PowerPoint slides. Get it going. So we're going to really quickly go through chapter six. That is the cognitive ladder. This is basically her chapter on treatment. And she's presenting this ladder. It's what you build from the child's current level of functioning up towards independence. This is a systematic sequential progressive load. And it can be applied to any type of cognitive therapy. So you can use this with speech, language, literacy, executive functioning, and each step builds on the one before it. You've done your assessment. You've figured out which cognitive domain is having the biggest impact, which one you're seeing the most deficits in. And then you're starting at the child's level. We've said this before. If the breakdown is occurring at the CV level and phonological processing, then that's where you start. You strengthen and you slowly build up. This goes against a few therapy techniques I've learned before. Maybe we'll talk to Tara about that a little bit. Phonological complexity is coming to mind. But mm -hmm. anyway, with language, she says you should be focused on slowly building length and complexity rather than focusing on each little individual skill. 
So ditch those goals that just say like regular past tense. Oh my God. And work more on producing and comprehending sentences of increased length and complexity, I guess, right? It sounds so vague. I know. I felt a little called out. I've been writing goals like that. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know. And I've made comments about previous SLPs at my school who just write these really vague goals, like will produce, you know, sentences of five or more words. You know, you're like, what? That's so general. Right. Okay. That's it. That's all she's giving us for therapy in this book. This book is really just to help us develop a framework for assessing so that we know where to start, so that we know what we're looking at in terms of the problem and therefore know where to begin our therapy. And you can figure it out from there. Once you have this information, it opens up so many possibilities because you're actually targeting the problem. A hundred percent. And you know, one thing that she talked about that I was really like, ooh, another call out, not for me specifically, but when she talked about speech therapists who do theme-based activities for like the whole month, I've never done it because I've always felt like my caseloads are so varied. I see people on Instagram, right? Or wherever teachers pay teachers selling this like year of therapy, different theme every month. And I've just always thought like, yeah, but what about these kiddos? What about that kiddo? Like it's really, normally I'm hand selecting activities just based on what works for the group and what works for everyone's goals. And I've always found that therapy to be a little general. And she kind of talked about that. Yeah. She especially said, if you're just teaching this like novel vocabulary and you're not meeting the kid where they are and building that length and complexity in their language, if you're really just using this you know, the same type of thing for every... Yeah, I feel like I went a little red in the face when I read that too. As a Teachers Pay Teachers author, you know, you go, ooh, well, what are we doing? We always have to be thinking about these. I think it's just sometimes we all get carried away with like, it's easy, it's cute, it's fun, it's engaging. And that's what makes all of our lives Mm -hmm. easier. So yeah, of course, as we always talk about, we always circle back to like the harder thing is often the better thing. Yes, (laughs) yes. All right. So I think we should wrap it up there. That's it for chapters five and six of The Seeds of Learning. I really hope if you are following along and reading that you're getting as much out of this as we are. We're going on almost an hour here of recording because we can't stop talking about this. It's a really incredible book and such valuable information for us to have. So we'll see you next time. We're going to be wrapping it up only four episodes this month because it is a short book, but we'll wrap it up with chapter seven and our final thoughts on the book in the next episode. See you then. Bye, Adrian. Bye, Laura. At the SLP Book Club, our mission is to learn, grow, and connect with other SLPs and educators. If you love what we're doing, the best way to support the podcast is to leave a rating and review wherever you listen. This helps other SLPs find the show so our community can grow even stronger. We appreciate you so much and hope you keep listening and reading along with us.